0: and i'm just a biochemist but most of the time i work in a glass jar and lead a very uneventful life i drive a volvo a beige one but what i'm dealing with here is one of the most deadly substances the earth has ever known so what do you say? you cut me some friggin slack i don't feel so good <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Poison Cast, a program dedicated to explaining the deadly science behind toxins, venoms, and chemicals. We travel deep inside the human body and investigate just how these fascinating and dangerous molecules kill you. My name is Scott Barnett and I'm a PhD candidate in Cellular and Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology at the University of Nevada, Reno School of Medicine. Now, if you're a Nicolas Cage aficionado, and (laughs) aren't we all... You'll recognize that audio snippet from the movie, The Rock. Nick Cage's finest work after raising Arizona, in my humble opinion. If you haven't seen either of those gems, you have my permission to stop the podcast and rectify that before we move forward. Great movies. The best movies. So, VX Nerve Agent. This is a really nasty chemical. And recently it has received a fair amount of press after it was learned that Kim Jong-nam, the half-brother of the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, was murdered in a Malaysian airport after someone walked up to him, sprayed him in the face with VX, and then walked away. WTF and OMG is all I can say. That is nuts. Nuts, nuts. So, what is VX, right? Well, if you're like me, and I know you are. You like to call it by its proper Christian name, which is O ethyl S2 diisopropyl ethyl methyl phosphophonothioate. Boom! Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Speaking in the language of organic chemistry is like knowing how to speak in pig Latin. You think it sounds a lot cooler than it actually does. Proof in point. So VX. At its core is a thick, viscous, motor oil like fluid that is either colorless or has a light amber hue to it, and for better or worse, is completely odorless. But, Scott, I saw The Rock. Uh, VX is a PERT plus colored fluorescent green goop. Well, I've got some bad news for you, friend. Michael Bay may have taken a smidgen of artistic lices with him with that film. Another thing that VX is not is a gas. Twitter was quick to point out this when I called it a gas, including one person who claimed I was trying to incite chaos and terror by calling it a gas. That really happened, and I'm pretty sure they were actually being honest. But that being said, VX can be and is often aerosolized to be used, as in the case at the airport, uh, which most people think of colloquially at least as a gas, but it's not a gas. It is a very low volatile liquid, which means that it does not evaporate. It's basically the opposite of rubbing alcohol in that sense. So VX, 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 right? Well, VX is part of a larger family of nerve agents called the V series, which were developed in England back in 1952. They are a derivative of something called organophosphates, which are commercially available pesticides. VX does have siblings in his family, like VE, VM, and VG, but VX is the scariest and most abundant, so we're going to talk about that one. Now, the V in VX stands for venomous, which is funny because, as you no doubt know because you've listened to the primer episode of this series, right, right, that venoms generally come from animals that inject toxins like a snake or a spider. VX is a poison. I give the scientists full kudos for picking a cool and intimidating name like VX, right? I mean, venomous nerve agent sounds pretty cool, right? Hell yeah. But if I were in charge, I'd be a little more boring. And I'd probably call it NVX for non-volatile nerve agent. The other major category of nerve agents are the G series, the G standing for gas. So you can see why they had to use a different name. From the G-series of nerve agents, you have probably only heard of GB, or as it's commonly known, sarin gas, which was created in Deutschland by the Germans in the 1940s. And before you're like, Scott, we already know about nerve agents. Remember your mustard gas episode? Wrong! Wrong. (laughs) Don't confuse nerve agents with blister agents like mustard gas, or choking agents like phosgene or chlorine, which would be wonderful to cover in the future, but not today. Nerve agents are their own horrible thing, and they kill you by interfering with, and I hope you're sitting down for this, by interfering with your nerves. VX as a nerve agent is expended in one of two ways. One, It's used as a means to deny an entire area to the enemy. Remember, VX has about the same viscosity as motor oil and evaporates about just as quickly, which to say not very fast. So if you load up a crop duster with VX, which is ironic because VX is similar (laughs) to pesticides, but if you load up a crop duster with VX and spray it across a very large area, anyone coming into that area will get the VX onto their clothes, And since the LD50, the amount it takes to kill you, is less than 10 milligrams, you can see that the enemy will quickly be motivated to stay away from that area. However, since VX is colorless and odorless, this is hard to do. And it's also hard to know when the war is over to tell people where they shouldn't be going. So a lot of bad ideas with that doesn't mean that people haven't thought about it. Fun fact and a quick sidebar here. I used to be in the United States Marine Corps. And we were required to go through annual training to make sure our gas mask worked properly. They would do this by locking you in a room and popping some canisters of tear gas open. Then they make you do some jumping jacks to make sure nobody's holding their breath and that your mask is on tight. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I have some pics of me doing this on thepoisoncast.com. It's a good time if you want to check that out. Um, VX, on the other hand... Right? other than like a tear gas or a sarin gas, is very sticky and it requires a full body coverage, or what the military calls MOP4 coverage. This is because VX absorbs through the skin and you need every inch of your body covered. My wife was in the army and she drove fuel trucks during Operation Iraqi Freedom, the one where we took out Hussein. And she was there when we first crossed the border and went in. There's a lot. There was a lot of talk at the time that Saddam Hussein was being... Uh, ready to use VX and other means of chemical warfare. So my wife and her fellow soldiers were constantly being forced to don mop level four, uh, protection, which I can tell you sucks big times. Even when there's no real threat, it sucks. Wearing mop level four is like putting on an extra thick full body trash bag. And, uh, you are of course already wearing all your combat gear and you are required to put on your gas mask first so that you don't die. So when you do this, you are practically blind and you're hyperventilating because it's hard to breathe and you're terrified. Um, Not to mention it's 110 degrees outside and you don't know if people AK-47s are just around the corner. So as you can imagine, I have a lot of respect for my wife. The bad thing is, is that after doing this a half dozen times, people start getting a little more laissez-faire about the whole thing and you don't don it as much because it's such a pain to do. Good tactic, I imagine, would be to do a lot of false alarms and then you don't cry wolf one time. Anyway, back to VX. So you can either disperse it over to this, uh, onto this large area, right, in order to convince the enemy not to use that piece of ground, or you can aerosolize it. VX is a pretty tough molecule, and you can pretty much just strap it to a, a 55-gallon drum of the stuff to a low-yield conventional bomb and drop it close to the enemy, although you should make sure the winds are going in the right direction, of course. And as we mentioned before, While VX is in every technical sense of the word not a gas, it can still be aerosolized and travel great distances to be inhaled. Some enterprising scientists also found out that you can mix the stuff with talc and clay dust to help it float through the air, kind of like the world's worst pollen, right? Right. There's a horrific uh, video on YouTube taken in the 1950s showing military doing just that with a pigeon and a goat. Be warned. It's disturbing to watch, even in blurry black and white. And I personally recommend you just pass It's It's not, not good for your psyche to watch something like that. And as I've mentioned in the past, all this is readily available online. I've done nothing special to find this. So in case you're worried about me giving some sicko some ideas, all on the Internet. OK, how does VX kill you? This is why you're listening to it, right? The show, that is? Well, let's let our old friend Nick Cage answer that question. What exactly does this stuff do? If the rocket renders it aerosol, it can take out the entire city of people. It's a cholinesterase inhibitor. Stops the brain from sending nerve messages down the spinal cord within 30 seconds. Any epidermal exposure or inhalation, and you'll know. Twinge at the small of your back as the poison seizes your nervous system. Your muscles freeze, you can't breathe. You spasm so hard, you break your own back and spit your guts out. So if you come into contact with VX, it will quickly pass into your bloodstream. In fact, as little as 10 milligrams will kill you, as I said earlier. That's about half the size of a grain of rice. That's not much by almost any metric. It's a small, oily molecule, so it easily wiggles its way through your skin and into your bloodstream. When it gets there, it will slowly or rapidly actually, I should restate that, it will quickly and expeditiously find its way to your nervous system and it attaches itself to special enzymes called acetylcholine esterases. What? Time to get sciencey, people. Nerds! 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 If you were to pluck your entire nervous system out of your body, It would look pretty much like long, thin hairs that were the exact shape of your entire body. Remember, nerves are attached to every muscle fiber, your skin, your eyes, your teeth, most your organs, basically anything your brain wants to be able to communicate with, a nerve is attached to it. All of these nerves jack into your spinal cord like it's a big power strip going down your back, and your spine connects to the power plant, i.e. your brain. It's these connection points where one nerve plugs into another like an extension cord as well as the points where the nerves terminate, like a muscle or organ, that the VX attacks. Here's an example. Your brain wants your leg to move so you can get away from the VX nerve agent. Your brain sends an electrical signal down your spine, which then outputs the signal down to your muscle. Where the nerve meets the muscle is called the neuromuscular junction. The nerve just can't talk to the muscle to make it contract. They speak different languages. In order for the nerve to get the muscle to contract, it has to use something called neurotransmitters. When your brain wants the muscle to twitch, this is called the depolarization, it spews those neurotransmitters into the tiny space between the nerve and the muscle. In our case, the neurotransmitter is called acetylcholine. Acetylcholine binds to receptors on the muscle... And signals it to contract when it's time for the muscle to stop contracting and this is where vx enters our story there is a bunch of specialized little molecular machines called enzymes that break down the acetylcholine this all happens in a fraction of a second these enzymes at least in our example are called acetylcholine esterases which is a fancy way of saying that these enzymes break down acetylcholine So the muscle can stop getting that signal to contract. What our friend VX does is to bind to acetylcholine esterase and stops it from working. VX throws a wrench in the machinery of this enzyme. Functionally, what does this mean? Well, your brain, as far as it knows, has turned off the signal for the muscle to contract. It assumes that the acetylcholine esterases are doing their job in removing the unneeded acetylcholine, The muscle, on the other hand, is like, what's going on here, buddy? It keeps contracting over and over again, which would start as a small twitch and turn into a spasm due to the excessive acetylcholine. This keeps happening until your muscles have depleted all of the energy and all the ions they have to properly contract, and you basically go into a limp paralysis and die. Yeah, not very fun. Two of these very important muscles are your diaphragm, which helps you breathe, and the muscles that surround your bronchi, which you can basically think of having the world's worst asthma attack. So you can't breathe, and even if you could, you can't get air into your lungs. And it's not just the neuromuscular junctions that use acetylcholine and acetylcholine esterases. Other areas of your sympathetic and parasympathetic systems do you think your fight and flight, your rest and digest, all the things that your brain does without you thinking about anything, they all use these neurotransmitters too it's basically in part of my french it's basically a shit show for your body when vx shows up it goes everywhere in fact the acronym that doctors use medical doctors uh to remember what happens to you when you are exposed to vx is called sludge salivation lacrimation which means tearing urination which i think you know what that means diaphoresis which is sweating you have gi upset you get massive diarrhea pretty much quickly and emesis, which means vomiting. On top of that, you get meiosis, not cell-splitting meiosis with an E, just with an I, which means your pupils contract. And the killer bees, which are bronchioconstriction. We talked about that, like having a, the worst asthma attack. And bronchorrhea, which is excessive fluid in your lungs. So you can't breathe because you can't get air in. And if you could, it doesn't matter. They're filling with lungs. And even if you could do that, your diaphragm's starting to freeze up. So none of that works. You can imagine this turns bad very quickly. And that's just the big symptoms, right? I could spend the next five minutes reciting every minor symptom, and I wouldn't even be done. Your nervous system is plugged into every corner of your body. So yeah, VX sucks. Is there any hope if you get dosed with VX? Drum roll, please. Yes. the term used is canna or convulsant antidote for nerve agent. This is one thing the Rock got right, sort of. Uh, spoiler alert, in the movie, Nick Cage is exposed to VX. He falls to the ground, he starts to spasm, excellent acting. Just when things look the most dire for our intrepid hero, he thrust a needle containing the antidote into his heart. Nick Cage survives and all is well. This is all true except for the heart stabbing bit. I couldn't find anything to support that. In real life, say if you're in the military, you're given a Mark I convulsive antidote for nerve agent kit, which contains two things. It contains intermuscular, intra, excuse me, muscular injectors, which means it goes in the fatty part of your thigh, not your heart, that function like an EpiPen. But rather than having epinephrine in them, one syringe contains two milligrams of atropine, and the other has 600 milligrams of Pralidoxime, which is also called Pam2. These need to be injected post-haste because after exposure, they just won't work for very long. Atropine works, and this is pretty cool. Atropine works by binding to the receptor on the muscle that acetylcholine normally binds to, and it stops it from functioning. So although you have all of this excess acetylcholine floating around because of the VX, it has nothing to act upon because the atropine is blocking that receptor. Good idea. There are a bucketful of nasty side effects with atropine, dough, but hey, <laughs> you're alive. The other drug, the PAM2, it actually binds to the acetylcholine esterase, and it forces the acetylcholine esterase to let go of the VX, and now the enzyme is free to start getting rid of the excess ACH. PAM2 does not work nearly as good for VX as it does for, for sarin gas, but You know, uh, when you've been attacked by VX or sarin, it's probably pretty difficult to differentiate. So they may just dump both of them in your system and hope for the best. That would make sense to me. I see why they do that. So there are some other treatments coming online too, including some interesting work being done with antibody therapies, and this is being done for a lot of poisons, believe it or not. The idea being that you might be able to microdose someone with VX if you think they're going to be in an area where they might be exposed to it, and your body can build up antibodies, so the poison – Um, over time. And if you get a large dose, the idea being the antibodies will bind to the VX, so it can't bind to the acetylcholine esterase. This seems a bit science fiction-y, but it seems to work reasonably well. And I was suspicious until I saw a YouTube video, because everyone knows YouTube videos can't be faked. But this one looked pretty convincing, where this guy had spent The last couple years, microdosing himself with snake venom poisons, including the black mamba, and I watched him take a hit to the arm from a black mamba, bleeding and everything. And assuming it wasn't fake, he walked away from it. So there might be something to this microdosing of these very, very dangerous uh, poisons here. The good news is, despite the fact that we have some treatments, is that we're slowly getting rid of all these nerve agents that we've been accumulating for decades. Worldwide, VX disposal has continued heavily since 1997 uh, under the Mandate for Chemical Weapons Convention, which the United States signed. When the convention was uh, entered force, worldwide worldwide stockpiles were declared initially at 19,586 tons. And that's assuming nobody was fitting. Let's talk about that number for just a minute. 19,586 tons of VX nerve agent is about 2 trillion milligrams. Remember, it takes 10 milligrams to kill one person. So if we extrapolate that, that's enough VX gas to kill every single person on the planet. All 7 billion of us, 300 times over. Why do we do this? Sometimes I think the entire human race deserves its own Darwin Award. It's like we're mice and we are obsessed with building mousetraps. Why, people? Why? Fun fact, the United States Department of Defense released a study finding that the United States had dumped 112 tons or more, they're not entirely sure, of the VX nerve agent into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of New York and New Jersey and Florida between 1969 and 1970. I know that was a while ago, but that was 112 tons. This material consisted of 22,000 M55 rockets. 19 bulk containers holding 1,400 pounds each. And for good measure, they threw in one M23 chemical landmine for good measure. Take a moment to think about the fact that we have developed and manufactured landmines that explode and spew VX nerve agent all out of them. It's like the world's worst jack-in-the-box Part of me thinks the reason they just dumped it, besides the fact that that was the easiest thing to do, is because it's hard to destroy VX. You can burn it, and that does work, but that forms some really intense dioxins, which are a real problem for the environment and for people. So getting rid of them is expensive. I guess it's just easier to flush them down the toilet. But from all metrics, it seems like we're actually getting rid of most of our our, uh, VX. Speaking of toilets... As crappy as VX is, the good news is that despite what I'm sure amounted to billions of dollars of development to develop and manufacture V-series nerve agents, only two people have been killed by VX. One was in Japan as some sort of cult murder, and no, I'm not talking about the terrorist attack on the Tokyo subway back in 1995, which resulted in 12 deaths and 5,000 casualties. Those nut jobs used sarin gas. The other death was the aforementioned Kim Jong-un's half-brother. So in the end, this terrifying chemical hasn't caused too much actual harm, if that counts for anything. And I think with that, we'll end part one of the show. Keep your headphones on though, if you want to take a deeper dive into the science of this poison, and I think you will. I also want to give a particularly grateful shout out to Laura Berg for helping me research this episode. She contacted me, said I liked the show, I wish it came out more often and I'll help you out, and I really appreciate that. Laura is in the Toxicology PhD program at the University of Montana in Missoula, Montana at the Center for Environmental Health Sciences. Thank you so much, Laura. She's a super bright and motivated person, and she's going to allow us to put the show out with a greater frequency than new Game of Thrones seasons. That being said, I'm gonna be at a conference for the rest of this week. But I hope to put out a new episode in two or three weeks. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at PoisonCast to see what we're going to talk about next time. And you can also submit your own ideas if you have a great idea about what you talk about. So, lastly, and I know I say this all the time, but please rate us on iTunes. It doesn't seem like much. It doesn't seem like it would matter, but it does. It makes a huge difference in people discovering the show. And it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So why wouldn't you want to do that? Thank you. Now, on to part two. Fellow nerds, mount up. I want to start by talking about the structure of VX a little bit more. It's pretty interesting. So the reason VX is an oil and not a gas like sarin is that it's a fair bit longer than sarin, and it has four additional ethyl groups, which increase the hydrophobicity quite a bit. Interestingly, the structure is offset on one side by a phosphate attached to two oxygens and a sulfur. This is a hugely electronegative core, uh, which will impart a lot of polarity into the molecule. And frankly, I'm surprised it's a little bit not more soluble in water. It's only, uh, I think, five... Uh, five grams per hundred grams soluble, and that's when the water is pretty warm. So, so it probably has to do with those ethyl groups. But pretty cool looking molecule. In a broad sense, though, what is VX targeting? And this is something I really glossed over in part one. If you recall, colon- cholinergic signaling is critical to all nervous signaling. Really, the two main targets of acetylcholine, depending on the location of your body, are nicotinic acetylcholine receptors and muscarinic acetylcholine receptors. And this is closely related to something I study. Uh, at the neuromuscular junction you have both nicotinic and cholinergic uh, uh, I'm sorry nicotinic and muscarinic cholinergic receptors but mainly they're nicotinic if this is new to you nicotinics are ligand gated ion channels and they permit the flow sodium mainly and a little bit of calcium into the cell when acetylcholine binds as the ligand and you can see this will cause a, a flush of sodium It will depolarize the cell and you're gonna get that muscle contraction. Because this is a sodium, because it's an ion channel, this is all gonna happen very, very quickly in a fraction of a second here. Uh, The other type is your muscarinic receptors. Muscarinic receptors are G protein coupled receptors and they're slightly slower response because GPCRs have to have a lot of downstream effectors come into play before it's activated and you get robust signaling sarin gas binds to both nicotinic and muscarinic so it's it's worse in that sense um i mean it's degrees of worse right we're already talking like really horrible and a little bit more horrible vx is fairly specific though to muscarinic um, like uh like smooth muscles uh for example like like, uh, muscarinic like as i said smooth muscles your heart gallbladder stomach Colon, bladder, salivary glands—these are all muscarinic, and you remember a lot of those symptoms hit these type of things here um, because it's largely targeting muscarinic. The so, how to say this? Your parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous system, right? Those are going down through your spine, and then they have there's a ganglial junction there, and those are nicotinic receptors there, and then the signal continues to propagate down to the uh, postganglionic, and those are often muscarinic receptors. In your somatic system, such as your neuromuscular junctions, those are largely nicotinic, as I said, and then in your central nervous system, those are nicotinic and muscarinic. So they're pretty much all over the body, and you can see why they're all activated by, by, by both um, VX and sarin gas here. It's, it's, it's pretty nasty in that sense. So when we think of symptoms, though, you know it's beginning to make more sense now. And the parasympathetic system VX causes meiosis, As again, it's M I O S I S, not M E I. And this is this is uh, part of the the parasympathetic response, and it will cause contraction of your uh, your fight and flight, right? Contraction of your of your your uh, your pupils and uh, not good contraction. This is just over contraction here. And then you get that sludge acronym, which we talked about here. Your central nervous system symptoms include seizures, confusions, respiratory center, like we talked about. Um, and sometimes they even give you benzodiapines like, uh, and they'll give you something like Valium if you have mild exposure. Uh, I didn't say that up top though. And the other thing is, and this is what kills you, right, is the bronchoconstriction and the bronchiorea. Bronchiorea is fluid accumulation in the lungs. You know, it's in, it, it, um, man, so that's the parasympathetic, the central nervous system. It also hyperactivates the sympathetic nervous system, and this is where you get the sweating, uh, confusion, seizures, just all kinds of stuff is going on here, and your body shuts down in quick order. So what is the VX doing in a little more detail, Right. VX acts by inhibiting the hydrolysis of acetylcholine by the acetylcholine esterase, which we've covered. Um, this is irreversible inhibition. At least it's irreversible after something called aging. What is aging? This is interesting. I didn't know about this before coming into this. VX forms a covalent bond with acetylcholine esterase, but is an, it is initially susceptible to being broken by a strong oxime nucleophilic attack, such as this PAM-2 which we talked about a little bit earlier. However, once the additional alkyl side group spontaneously hydrolyzes, which is the aging, the strength between the bond of the phosphate moiety and the uh, enzyme is too difficult to break. And the, the acetylcholine estrate has essentially aged. Once the phosphate bond has aged, there's no way to reverse it. And you basically have to wait for the enzyme to turn over. And, and if you're, if you've been attacked by poison, this is ours. So it's not going to happen. Um, Aging can occur within 10 minutes depending on the chemical or as long as 48 hours with a low dose of VX. So this can take a long time. So if you're giving someone drugs before they die, like uh, the atropine or the tupam, there's a good chance you'll save them if they haven't died yet. I got this bit of useful information, though, from Tulane.edu website. If you go to uh, poisoncast.com, you can click on the link, and it's got tons of cool stuff about how uh, poisons and organophosphates uh, attack acetylcholine esterases. So the treatment now. If we... If it, we do this before aging occurs, 2-PAM can regenerate acetylcholine esterase activity. The acetylcholine esterase enzyme has two different parts to it. The acetylcholine molecule binds to both ends of the enzyme and are cleaved into two parts. You get an acetic acid and you get a choline. With VX nerve agent and serine, acetylcholine binds to just one end of the acetylcholine esterase, and it blocks its activity. 2-PAM is able to attach to the other half and unblock that anionic site of the acetylcholine esterase. And after a conformational change, the VX loses its binding affinity and it falls off. The conjoined poison antidote unbind and then the, the, the enzyme's free to act, act again here. The other drug is atropine, which is a competitive, reversible, important, reversible antagonist of muscarinic acetylcholine receptors on the muscle side. In general, and I lifted most of this from Wikipedia, but it explains it well, atropine counteracts this rest and digest activity, remember, from the parasympathetic nervous system. This occurs because atropine is competitive and reversible to the muscarinic acetylcholine receptor. So with VX and sarin, you can't metabolize all the excess acetylcholine, but what atropine does is it blocks the receptor to which acetylcholine binds. So all that extra acetylcholine has nothing to act on. Pretty clever. I like that. So not too crazy today in part two, but I think we're going to put a bow on today's show. It's been a little bit long. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at PoisonCast to see what we're doing next time. And a huge, huge shout out and thank you to Laura again. Thanks everyone and take care.